0: Continuing through the Sermon on the Mount and I told you guys going in and you know this those of you that have been with us I told you that this sermon series what Jesus preached in Sermon on the Mount (coughs) Excuse me is going to be very convicting fact is he's going to make you nervous at times with some of the things that he's going to say Because it's really against our culture. It's really not popular in our day and age and especially what he's going to talk about today He's going to talk about your priorities And he's going to talk about where you are in life and and how you set your goals and how you set your priorities. And listen, as a pastor, I've had a lot of people confess a lot of stuff in my office. I mean, I've had people come into my office and talk about sin issues in their life. I've had them talk about addictions. I've had people uh, confess an affair with their spouse sitting there in my office. I've had people talk about issues. I've had people talk about pornography. I've had people talk about lust. I've had people confess just about every issue going on, except for one as I was preparing for this message. I've yet to have someone walk into my life and say, you know what, something's going on in my life, and I think I'm dealing with greed. Because greed, if we're not careful, is like the silent killer. It's something that can, especially in America. Now listen, Jesus is going to talk about wealth and and how to handle it. And and so we all understand each other. Everybody in this room is wealthy. Listen, after this service, if you can go home and put ham on your sandwich, you are better off than 98% of the world. And so Jesus is going to speak a world into our time, and he's going to speak a world into our culture, and he's going to begin talking about these issues of priorities in life and how to have the correct priorities and what that brings in life because, well, we're living in a day and we're living in an age where a lot of people have put a lot of stock in wealth and things and possessions, and it's left them empty and left them struggling. And left them wanting more to where they believe that if I just attain a little bit more, a little bit more stuff, everything will be okay. So Jesus in Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 19, starts talking about this issue. We're just going to walk through it real quickly this morning. He says this. He says, do not, so here's a warning, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy. And where thieves do not break in and steal for, and, it, and then here's a central verse because he says for where your treasure is, there would be your heart also. In other words, there's a treasure trail that you could follow your, your heart from, you can follow the trail from your treasure to your heart and it'll tell you where your heart is. And then he goes on and he says, the, the eye is a lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, and your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness. No one can serve two masters. Either, you will, either he will hate the one and love the other, he will be devoted to the one or despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. You see, in the first century, they accumulated wealth much differently than we do today. They didn't accumulate wealth in bank accounts, savings accounts, 401Ks, stock portfolios, investments, uh, anything like that. They, they accumulated wealth by cash of an expensive wardrobe and precious metals. And so that's why Jesus formulates this and speaks right into their culture by saying, hey, be careful you don't store up treasures in, on earth where moth and rust, moth that will eat the clothes, eat the wardrobe, rust that will destroy the precious metals. In other words, what he was trying to get them to understand that worldly wealth can be temporary. Well, it is temporary. And so when you look at this issue, you've got to first look at, well, in our culture, in our time, in our society, how does the world look at uh, possessions? Now listen, the boomer generation, they have just written their legacy. A boomer is anyone that was born between 1946 and 1964. The legacy is this. Self- indulgence consumerism life it's all about me I mean they have just devoted themselves to pleasing themselves trying to make themselves happy and they've looked at wealth they've looked at possessions as far as if it's all about me In fact is John Piper in his book Desiring God said this he said all the evils in the world come not because of our desires for happiness are too strong because they're so weak that we settle for fleeting pleasures that do not satisfy our deepest souls But in the end destroys them the root of all evil is that we are the kind of people who settle for the love of money instead of the love of god the most misquoted scripture in the sermon on the mount is this issue that says the love of money is the root of all evil there's a lot of people that will say no no it's like money is the root of all evil listen jesus never said that jesus never said anything bad about wealth jesus never said anything about wealth and blessings and and all that other stuff what jesus said was that misplaced priorities is what's wrong to when you put your hope in wealth and you put your hope in possessions and not in God then you will never live a fulfilled life you will never live a satisfied life and and Paul gave warning to Timothy about this issue in 1 Timothy 6 6 and 9 he said but godliness without content is great gain for we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it but if we have food and clothing and We will be content with that. People who want to get rich and fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires, they plunge men into ruin and destruction. I mean, we can just look at our economy. We can look at recent times and realize we know how uncertain the stock market is. We realize how uncertain, how fragile our whole economy is. I mean, it's all... It's all temporary, even retirement plans. And that's why Proverbs 23 5 says this Cast but a glance at riches and they are gone, for they will surely sprout ring, wings and fly into the sky like an eagle. It's an amazing time that we live in with a greed and materialism that consumes us. Ponzi schemes, investment schemes, People getting rich and wealthy at the cost and the expense of others. Enough is never enough, no matter how much you make. And we've watched, man, we've watched greed and consumerism cripple a country, cripple an economy. We've watched it cripple and destroy families. We've watched it cripple and destroy relationships but because people have come to the point to where it's all about the stuff, it's all about materialism, it's all about the possessions. That's what gives you happiness. In fact is, William Etzel says this, getting into debt is a lot like riding a bicycle downhill. It's exhilarating at first. Life in the charge lane is a lot of fun. But you always have to go back home and it's uphill. That's how debt works. And right now, our economy, our country, We're riding a bicycle uphill. And who knows when? And who knows how long? Till we get out of this. See, what Jesus was trying to get them to understand is not that wealth is bad, but misplaced priorities is what makes it bad. To where we get our fulfillment and our value in how much we make and the kind of stuff that we have I mean, Luke twelve fifteen says, Jesus says, watch out, be on guard against all kinds of greed. Listen, greed is a silent killer. That's why he says, you know what? You better be on guard against this issue of greed because if we're all honest, we all deal with it at some level, some shape, form, or fashion. And he says, you better be on guard because it will creep into your life if you're not on guard in your life. And then he goes on and says, a man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. He said it's more than materialism. It's more than stuff. It's more than bank accounts. And so the real question this this morning is, is that I would have and I hope that you would have. Well, if he says that you store up treasures in heaven, how do you do that? I mean, what is that about? What does that mean? Here's the great thing of God's Word. God's Word not only tells us what we should do, it tells us how we should do it. And Paul gave advice to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6 verses 17 through 19 of how to break greed in your life, how to break consumerism, how to have right priorities in life. And the first thing he said was this. He said, verse 17, he says, No matter how much money you make, no matter how much wealth you have, learn to be humble. If you want to store up treasures in heaven, learn to be humble in life. Verse 17, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, in other words, don't, don't let everybody know how much you have and how little they have. Don't flaunt it. Just learn to be humble to where people that are around you, regardless of their social status, regardless of their income, they just feel comfortable with you. He says this, and then watch, and not to put their hope in wealth. Wealth is not the problem what you place your hope in that's what Jesus was talking about that's what Paul is talking about to to Timothy here and then he goes on he says which is so uncertain wealth is uncertain it's temporary that's why the danger is is putting your hope in something that's temporary something that's uncertain and then he goes on he says not only be humble but learn to depend on God see that's the danger of wealth you can make so much money you no longer need God in your life you want to store up treasures in heaven And you want to be different? You want to have a peace that is different from everybody else and live life different? And learn to depend on God. Watch this. Don't put your hope in wealth, but put your hope in God. Can you understand how Paul is trying to convince Timothy? I mean, he's going back over this. Let me say it a different way. Maybe I should say it. Let me say it a different way so you'll get this. Don't put your hope in wealth, but put your hope in God, who richly provides us with everything great statement, everything for our enjoyment. Nothing wrong with material blessings. Nothing wrong with wealth. As long as you understand, as long as it has a right place in your life, as long as your priorities remain and where you don't depend on the wealth and you depend on God and you understand that. And then he says, if you want to store up treasures in heaven, do good deeds. Man, learn to learn to do, do good verse 18 command those to do good to be rich in deeds listen we're their hands the feet and the mouth the body of christ and when we minister when we're generous when we help us, others when we share we're not working for salvation it's a it's a testimony but at the same time it helps us keep our priorities in line you know what the bible says you know what prevents greed in your life and my life giving Man, giving, because it's a reminder that, you know what, I have this because I'm blessed of God. And it's a reminder, it's also trust. Listen, if if your trust, if your hope is in wealth, you'll never be able to give. Because you've got to hoard it all and you've got to protect it all. If your hope and trust is in God, when he blesses you, you can give because you know he's going to bless you with more. It's where your trust is. And then the last thing he says is, be generous. Be generous. Man, learn to be generous with your income. Learn. He goes, be generous and watch this, and willing to share. In other words, what he's saying is, is, man, hold on to things of this world loosely. Being willing to share. Every one of us are going to have opportunity to share. We have opportunities to share our resources in the services a little bit later. You're going to have opportunity to share with others, whether this week, whether it's in your family, whether it's people that you work with. With people that you come across. Every one of us have opportunities in life to share. And then verse 19, he goes and he says, in this way, they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation, what, for the coming age. That's just another way to say it, in heaven. It's like, send it on ahead. It's like, you want to know how to lay up treasures in heaven? Paul just makes it so clear so they may take hold of the life, and watch this, so they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Materialism, consumerism, finances, that is not living. If so, why is Hollywood a wreck? Why do some of our richest celebrities, our richest stars, Why do they struggle with loneliness? Why do they struggle with purpose? Why do they struggle with meaning? Why do they struggle with broken, hurtful, painful relationships? Why do they struggle with all, why do they self-medicate? Why do they try to, how, how can they have so much and be so unhappy? Jesus would say, because that's not life. Life is understanding the place of, wealth and materialism, and that your hope is never placed in that. But your hope is... See, you know what Jesus is saying? Don't focus on accumulating possessions. Accumulate experiences. That's what he was talking about earlier, how you can be so busy and you fall into traps and things trying to get rich. In other words, come to the point to where you don't sacrifice relationships around you and family members and everything else trying to get rich and trying to get the American dream. And then you end your life and you don't have any experiences. You don't have any, you, nobody could make the trip with you. When I think over my past, whether it's childhood, adulthood, wherever, you know the memories I remember? Not the, not the possessions. not the You know what I remember? I remember the experiences. I remember the relationships. I, I remember things that went on. That's what we talk about. And so Jesus' complaint was not about wealth. It was misplaced priorities. And that's why Jesus said, what drives you? That's why he said. That's why he asked, made the statement, which we can form into a question. Says, Where's your treasure? Because where your treasure is, there will be your heart also. And then he moved them into an area and says, Well, let me help you to understand what you should focus on or what should get your attention. He, he makes this analogy. It's kind of interesting. He says, the, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within your, you is darkness, how great is that darkness? In other words, he said, Man, how's your vision? Because, because he makes this analogy... From materialism possessions to your heart or to your body. You see, in our culture, when we talk about someone having an evil eye, man, that's someone given the the death stare. You know? You know what I'm talking about? That death stare, the that evil look. I mean it's that look that someone gives you that you think, oh man, they've just they have cast a spell on me. I mean it's that look that you look at they like, man, they hate me. That's not what an evil eye meant. In their cul- See, Jesus talked later on in Matthew, he talks about an evil eye and the danger of it. You know what an evil eye meant in their culture? It meant an eye of envy or an eye of greed. Because what gets your attention will get you. And Jesus said, "Have nothing, have nothing to do with that. I mean. Just like an attraction for things, start what he says with lust. You know one way that you and I can know that we struggle in the area of greed? How do you handle it when someone gets more than you? How do you handle it when someone's blessed and they get a new car that you've always wanted, the house, the vacation, the toys the stuff because an evil eye when you see that would be oh man that should be me that's not fair I should have that I mean do you do you go I am happy for them that they had this financial bonanza I am happy for them that they can afford this stuff I am happy for them that they could do that or do you go, that should be me. Life is unfair. That sh- that, that's an indication. If you can't rejoice with someone who has been blessed, then that's an inca- indication agreed. I I know people who have lost good friends because they've been blessed financially. And it caused problems with the relationships around them because. People had an evil eye. Christian artist, uh, Arthur Randy Alcorn wrote this. I love this. He says, we ought to periodically take our kids to the junkyard to let them see what happens to material things that people long for. We need to show them that these things that people long for and which were so important to people 10 years ago are now wasted in a junkyard. Everything in this world, everything is temporary. And that's why our focus, or that's why where we look, is so important. Because our focus, listen, what has your attention right now will will sooner or later get your heart. And greed doesn't matter. Greed doesn't care if it takes you two miles an hour, or if it takes you a hundred miles to miles miles an hour to get there. It'll get your heart. Hebrews twelve two says this: Fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfector of our faith. Scripture talks about this issue of our focus all the way through. 2 Corinthians 4.18 So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Listen, if it has your attention, it will eventually get you. 1 John. And it's all through Scripture. Chapter 2, verse 15. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the cravings of s- sinful man, the lust of the eyes, listen, the lust of the eyes, that's very, very important for you to understand that context. We'll come back to that. The lust of the eyes and the boasting, here it is, and the boasting of what he has and does does not come from the Father. Here you go again about that issue laying up treasures in heaven, be humble. Is what I mean, you see this principle, you see these principles all through Scripture, the boasting of what he has, or the boasting of what he's done. There are some people, you, you could be around them, and within minutes you know everything that they've accomplished, everything that they've done, and you know all about them. And then he says, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. He's talking about laying up foundations and treasures in heaven. Listen, the lust of the eyes in this context, usually what happens when we look at lust of the eyes in Scripture, we're, we're thinking sexual lust. That's not what this context is talking about at all. It's talking about an eye of envy. It's talking about lusting for things of the world, lusting for things that other people have that make you miserable because you don't have it. Now listen, we've got to understand this. We all deal with greed at some level. Everyone deals with greed at some level. That's why Jesus says, you better be on guard. You better watch out because it creep in And if we're real and if we're honest We all deal with this at some level. It's hard to get away from this in America, right? I mean we got TV commercials telling us our cars are old and out-of-date and whatever and we need a new one Stereo systems computers and iPods and vacations and because they make money the more that we buy they feed into this It's hard Man, A couple of weeks ago Saturday, Karen and I were doing uh, yard work. And, uh, and so I was praying through this message and thinking about greed and all this stuff. And, and God brought an, a, a situation, a circumstance to, to my mind. And, and uh, Flo Trujillo is in our church, and Flo is a great lady, and, and she was in Israel with us. And so she talked about making homemade bean burritos and green chili and tortillas. And, and so I kept telling her, I said, Flo, I... Man, please, one day just make me some bean burritos. And so, about a little bit over a week ago, she showed up at the church office and told Lisa, says, hey, here's some bean burritos for Pastor Charlie, and he's to share with the staff and make sure Karen gets some. I'm telling you what, I, I took a bite of the first one, and the staff is just learning about this. They didn't get a One. I'm telling you what, I have never had green chili that great, and the beans were—I mean, it was like over the top. I mean, I took a bite, I says, you know what? I'm not sharing. <laughs> and it was good. I mean, I, someone last night felt so sorry for Dwayne, they gave him two bucks and said, here, go to Taco Bell, quit your whining. <laughs> Man, I'll tell you what, I took those bean burritos and we, we have eaten on bean burritos for a, for a week. We finished them off on Saturday. In fact is, Karen didn't know she was eating the staff's bean burritos till last night. <laughs> that wasn't good. I'll be staying at somebody's house. but Listen, we're the same way with God. God blesses us just like Flo did with me with bean burritos and... I said, I'm not sharing. I confessed to, to Flo last week and said, she's like, Pastor Charlie, I can't you're a pastor. I can't believe you didn't share. I didn't. And I don't, and I'm trying to feel bad about it because it was so good. I really am. And you know what, it may cost me more bean burritos in the future. I mean, she may not make them for me anymore but a lot of us are that way with God and God blesses us with resources and stuff and he says just share a portion just share a portion not all of it just give back to me what is really mine see the only thing in life that breaks greed is being generous and and giving Philippians four twelve says this. It says, "I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. And I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation." Well, there's a lot of people that would love to be able to say that about their life. That I just learned what it means to be content, regardless of what, regardless of my situation in life, whether well fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or any in want. And then Jesus moved down and said, you're going to have to choose who you're going to serve. You can't serve both. See, he said this in verse 24, no one can serve two masters, either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now King James would use the word mammon instead of money. Mammon is a unique Aramaic word that basically means all of your wealth, all of your things, all of your uh, possessions, Every, I mean, Jesus covers it. Just everything has been given to you as a blessing, and you should be willing to share. If you want to know, boy, if you, if you want to know what has a hold on you, what do you have a hold of? What do you have a hold of in your life that you're unwilling, you cannot turn loose up? I mean, that'll tell you. And you may have money, and you may have wealth, and you may have influence. You may have accomplished a lot, and that's fine. As long as you don't find your value, your acceptance, in that. I mean, Jesus, listen, this isn't me. Jesus says, You can't serve both God and money because you will either hate one, love the other. Can I just tell you, there's some people that say, hey, I can serve both. Jesus said no such thing as a tie in this situation. It's not a tie. You try to serve both, you'll love one, you'll hate the other. Listen, if you try to serve money, you will never be able to have the influence that Christ has intended for you to have because money will always get in the way. Because you just can't turn loose of it. I mean, I was thinking about this This is last weekend, or, or this weekend, and about places I've been in the world. And listen, you know, we've been blessed, and we've taken some really, really great vacations. Our first cruise uh, that we got to take was a cruise that you guys gave us at one of our anniversaries here, and you guys raised some money and sent me and my whole family on a, on a, on a week cruise, and it was incredible. And I mean, you talk about, you know, and to me... You talk about self indulgent. And go on a cruise. I mean, you don't worry about a thing. Food's gonna come more than you can eat it. I mean, you just turn into like this glutton and then all the shows and all the stuff, and and you know, nobody was really having to depend on God. No one I mean and I've been, listen, I've been to some of the wealthiest places in America. I've been to some of the wealthiest places in the world. And I've been to some of the poorest places in the world. I know where I've seen God. I know where I have seen Him. I've been to the poorest places in the Dominican Republic. I've been to Beattlestock, Poland, where five years prior to me being there, it's where the majority of the Chernobyl fallout came. All the kids five years and younger had stomach cancer, stomach disorders because they were eating food with with nuclear radiation, huge handicaps, huge health issues. I've been to the ghettos in Warsaw, Poland. I have met Jews with the numbers still tattooed and embossed on their forearm. I've been to the poorest places in Mexico, and I can tell you the places where I've seen God. It's in a group of people that know they're dependent on Him. and know they need, see the danger of wealth is this, we no longer think we need Him. I've seen God in a Haitian refugee camp in the Dominican Republic and these people lived off the dump of Santa Domingo. Most of them, all of them, had HIV. They didn't know grandparents, they didn't know aunts, they didn't know uncles, because by this time, all of them had died to the issues of AIDS. I have seen God with my own eyes. I have seen him in the poorest areas of the Dominican Republic. I have, listen, I have worshipped with them. You talk about passionate worship. You talk about over the top worship. They didn't care if they had to stand too long. They didn't care if they had to sit too much. They didn't even care what they had to sit in. They sat in cheap, broken down plastic chairs and they had passionate worship because they understood without God in their life, they can't make it another day. I have seen God in prison cells. I have seen God in homeless shelters. I have seen God in inner city schools, span elementary that we have sent volunteers in and watched people minister to them. I have seen God at graveside services when it was just a small graveside service. And I watched family members and loved ones that were mourning the loss of a loved one, consoled and loved. I've seen God in courtrooms. And if you want to see God, you find someone that has a broken heart And it is crying out in desperation to him and need him desperately in their life. Listen, I've seen God in this place. Let me just tell you, it's not our building that draws God in. By worldly standards, this isn't much. used to be a four-screen movie theater, and we did the best we could. It's not the stage lights, it's not the stage, it's not the, the, the video, the, the side screens, the graphics. It's not the, the instruments, it's not the voices. i tell you what brings, draws God in. It's the broken heart of the worshiper that are desperate for him. And no, they can't make it another day, another week without him unless he intervenes, that they're not dependent on wealth and money and all that stuff but they have to come in contact with a holy and a righteous God. I've seen God sit, come in and sit next to the single mom that worked three jobs, pregnant, lost a job. And I've watched God and others come around her and begin to take donations of diapers and formula and baby clothes. I watched a church pay for her rent so she wasn't evicted because she lost a job, pregnant, and two kids. I've watched God sit next to the alcoholic that made a mess of their life and come into this place and say, I've made a mess of my life and I can't do it and I need God's help. I've watched the person that's been sober for years come into this place and God sit next to them and they understood without his intervention in their life without him giving them hope and encouragement that they, not, may, they may not be sober another day or another week I've watched God minister to the student that came into this place and said I can't believe what I did Saturday night will God still have me? Will God still love me? I've watched God with the er- elderly person that came in and sat down and said you know what it's, all, it's, all a bit, it's been all about me my whole life. And whatever time I have left, whatever time God gives me, I'm going to live for Him and I'm going to give to others and I'm going to minister. I've watched God in this place sit next to the person that had been sexually abused, where they raped, molested, and they came into this place and they felt like it was their fault, and they felt like because of that they were dirty and unclean and and they had no value and they had no purpose. And I have watched God minister to that person along with a church, Stephen's ministry, and whatever. And because of that, they realized they were loved in Him, they had value, they had purpose, and it wasn't their fault that in Him they had value. I've seen him in the foyer when someone had walked in and lost a job, lost a loved one. And some people gathered around them in the welcome center and loved them and accepted them and ministered to them. I've seen him sit next to a mom and dad that push a child in a wheelchair in our facility and out our facility every day of their life provide for a handicapped child and God minister to them I've seen God minister to the single dad that went through a divorce no fault of his own and he carried great guilt because he couldn't see his children as much as he would like. I've seen God sit next to the person that was just diagnosed with a terminal illness. And God sit next to them. I've seen God sit next to a couple after couple in our church came in this place after a miscarriage and God ministered to them I've seen God sit next to many people in this room that understood and understand that they desperately need him It's not in their wealth, it's not in their status, it's not in their bank account, but they realize, I'm desperate, I'm nothing without him. And the truth is this, everyone in this room needs him. Regardless of our status, regardless of our wealth, regardless of our income. Some have just convinced themselves that they really don't need God. God's just someone that gets them to heaven. Listen, if if that was all it was, then the moment you became a Christian, God would kill you and take you to heaven. This life is in preparation for heaven. This life is in preparation for the life to come. That's why Jesus says we store up treasures in heaven, laying a firm foundation by how we live.